It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody's Brian Kilmeade show. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, Admiral James Charvitas in about 10 minutes and Jonathan Ward, author of China's Vision of Victory, the founder of the Atlas Organization. Uh, he's going to be joining us shortly, too, because China, evidently, front page of the New York Times, they know how to start a pandemic and beat a pandemic. I guess that's of interest today. It's going to be kind of interesting because we would find out the we know Jen Psaki is going to have a press conference at about I think that's going to be at one o'clock. And Congresswoman Taylor Green, uh, she will have a um, Marjorie Taylor Green will have a press conference at 11. So 11 o'clock Eastern time. So we'll find out how she feels about being kicked off all committees for stuff she did before she was elected, and she was still elected. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Safe reopening of schools is not, um, that vaccination of teachers is not a prerequisite for safe reopening of schools. Dr. Walensky um, spoke to this uh, in her personal capacity. Obviously, she's the head of the CDC, but we're going to wait for the final guidance. Right. Her personal capacity spoke with her title and personal capacity. Go figure that. The president speaking on his personal capacity. Amazing. Uh, That is a doctor, head of the CDC, saying open up the schools, schools and sports. Open them up. Let them play. Parents, students and players are making the demands and dare I say making some progress, at least in Michigan. Number two. I jump into my bathroom um, and I close the door. I open the door. When all of a sudden I hear, where is she? Where is she? I thought everything was over. Wow. AOC's seemingly fictional account. Marjorie Taylor Greene's committee ouster. Pelosi's sudden need for massive security to protect the enemy within. Republicans, how the Dems are trying and succeeding in keeping the GOP off balance and why they can do it, uh, what they can do to right their own ship and send the speaker into retirement in 2022. Number one. Last year, the Senate passed five bills, both with Republicans and, and Democrats, over 60 votes in every, every bill. The Democrats this time have decided they're not even going to talk to us. It's unbelievable. Uh, Senator Rick Scott working through the night in a votorama. Five times last year, Republicans and Democrats combined to pass the rescue package, $4 trillion. This time, the Dems were happy to go it alone despite a massive decrease in COVID cases and an economy showing some signs of reviving. When will the left's priorities match the, co- the country's needs? So what happened after voting through the night on a series of amendments, and I'll go over them, uh, the Senate passed on a strictly party-line vote, 51 with the vice president to 50, a budget reconciliation resolution that will allow them to vote simply on party lines if they get every Democrat to vote $1.9 trillion, a sixth rescue package, right after $900 billion was issued. And $1 trillion has yet to be spent. Unbelievable that they couldn't get any Republican votes. Unbelievable how little they cared about Republican votes. Here's more from Senator Rick Scott. Cut three. 
We're going to take each of these votes by the Democrats tonight, and we're going to make sure the citizens in those states know exactly how their senators are voting. Uh, these are these are important issues to Americans. You know, should we should we be providing health care to newborn? Republicans believe yes. Democrats believe no. Should we have a secure border? Republicans believe yes. Democrats believe no. I mean, it's 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 the craziest votes we're taking tonight. The Democrats are voting against common sense solutions for Americans. Yeah. uh, And what they're going to do, Bernie Sanders is going to be not uh, he's backing off. He needs fifteen dollars minimum wage right away. He says we'll do it gradually. That was a little of the sparring that went on. But overall, it's a loss for America because this is debt that we got to pay back. And I just believe we're better off allowing these states to open schools to go back into existence, things to go back to somewhat normal by letting us work through it while we're getting vaccinated. That's the way to stand up this economy because we're we're using money we don't have and it's not targeted. Therefore, it's going to a lot of people's savings account. Makes no sense. Imagine borrowing money from your neighbor and putting in your savings account. But if someone says, I'm going to give it to you for free, you'll take it. So what I mean about distractions is pretty simple. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene's controversial. Knowing some wacky stuff. Uh, supports QAnon to a degree. Jewish uh, lasers, Israeli lasers were ignited and ignited forest fires in California. Not true. And 9-11 inside job. Not true. Sandy Hook didn't really happen. That did happen. She walked it back, though. Yesterday, said, this is all before I got elected. I was into conspiracy theories. Cut four. I haven't gotten to know any of my Democrat colleagues, and I haven't had to have any conversations with any of you to tell you who I am and what I'm about. You only know me by how media matters, CNN, MSNBC, and the rest of the mainstream media is portraying me. A lot of Americans don't trust our government, and that's sad. The problem with that is, though, is I was allowed to believe things that weren't true, and I would ask questions questions about them and talk about them. And that is absolutely what I regret, because if it weren't for the Facebook post and, and comments that I liked in 2018, I wouldn't be standing here today, and you couldn't point a finger and accuse me of anything wrong. But the problem is, is a slippery slope. This is the utter definition of it. So I don't like anything I just said I don't agree with, right? But the people of Georgia did, and they put her up there. Steve Scalise said, I don't want her in the House. He endorsed the opponent of Marjorie Taylor Greene. She still won. So as as soon as she gets there, they say, quickly, let's make sure she's not on any committees. So I don't think AOC has been that stable. I don't think Elon Omar has been an asset. I'm pretty sure that Rashid Tlaib has been a joke. All of them have expressed de- at different times anti-Semitic points of view. Maybe I think that's dangerous. And maybe if it's Speaker Kevin McCarthy, he goes up there and he gets everybody in the Republican side to vote her off committees. Don't you see where this is going? But overall, a huge distraction. Why? The Republicans are within 10 votes, 10 seats of taking back the House. 10 seats. And the longer they talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene, the more they talk about the, the razor wire in front of the Capitol and the need to have a, the, the need to have the National Guard, that the, the enemies here within, they're not talking about policy. They're not talking about the jobs loss. They're not talking about the stupid green agenda, which has nothing to do with the country. And then AOC takes to her Twitter account, her Instagram account, and talks about what happened on January 6th, how she thought she was going to die. The problem is, it's more than likely not true. Because the raid of the Capitol never got to the Cannon Building. 
It is about a 10-minute walk. The raid in the Capitol never had anybody at risk. The person banging on the door that she talked about was actually a police officer checking on her. How do we know this? Well, part of it is because Congresswoman Nancy Mace of South Carolina was one door away. Cut nine. Democrats haven't held their own accountable. And um, and so this is this is problematic and, and troubling, and we've got to move forward to get to the work of the people, and they're not doing it. Well, it is a power grab. It is unprecedented. Um, I've told folks that I will consider it when the Democrats file a resolution holding their own accountable for their anti-Semitism, their bigotry, their violent rhetoric. I think as a just a normal person in this country, we don't like hypocrisy. And when we see that, and that's what's going on today. That's what this vote is about. It's all political. It's unprecedented. And it's a power grab. And she also found her way to the microphones yesterday and talked to John Roberts and Sean Hannity. This is a rookie congresswoman who said, I was there. I, I knew this was a dicey situation. But we never had anybody come into our building. I am one door away from her. Cut 17. She's very good at politicizing events to her advantage, and that's what's going on today. We've seen it throughout her, her tenure in Congress. And these are the reasons why Americans are fed up with politics today, seeing the, the culture of personality in both parties continually dividing our country. We have real work to do. And just look, yesterday and today being distracted from the work of the people. Yep. So there's a big problem because AOC's story doesn't line up. She has no witnesses to it. And the cop wasn't a threat. The cop was there to see her. And Nancy Mace was said that we have nothing to fear there. She just says, I never even met her, but her story's not true. Cut 15. You have reports today of people doubting your version of events. The fact of the matter is, is that the account is accurate. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when it comes to minimizing the experiences of survivors, that, could, that is extremely damaging as well. Yeah. yeah. Don't, you don't want to question her. Even though her story doesn't add up, you don't want to question her. one 408 7669 Admiral James Stravitas, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, coming up next. Uh, the, yesterday, the President of the United States outlined what his foreign policy was going to be like. What does the Admiral think of that and how it's going to be different than President Trump's? And Jonathan Ward here. We also sent an aircraft carrier through this, uh, the, uh, the strait right between Taiwan and China. How did that go? Jonathan Ward, China expert, next. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in 
blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If Iran continues to lift some of these restraints imposed by the agreement, that could get down to a matter of weeks. The bottom line is they are getting closer to the point where they would be either a threshold nuclear power um, or uh, actually a nuclear power. Uh, That is uh, Anthony Blinken. And we, we rolled on 62 or 63. Okay, that was uh, the Iranian situation. So today there's going to be a meeting in the Situation Room about Iran and their growth in in enriching uranium at a dizzying pace. But they've already made some signs to show that they're looking to do a deal with Iran. Admiral James Stravitas joins us now, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander. And uh, he has got a book coming out shortly, uh, 2034, a novel of the next world war that comes out March 9th. Uh, Admiral, welcome back. Great to be with you, Brian. So if you were in that situation room, what would you interject when it comes to the Iranian situation? I would say to the president, um, let's not rush off to Tehran and recut, uh, let's be honest here, a flawed deal. Let's go to Brussels and get alignment between the United States, our European allies. Then let's leverage the fact that the Iranian economy is in the tank because of the uh, very extreme sanctions that were applied to it, which I think were uh, supported largely by the majority of Americans, and then uh, go to Tehran with a unified front and say, hey, we want a deal, but it's not going to be the previous deal. We need a new deal and one that would include limits on your activities around the Middle East and limits on your ballistic missile program. Um, It may surprise you, Brian. I think that's roughly how this is going to come out after this meeting in the Situation Room. Just talked to General Keene on television, and he said they were already making moves to to move towards Iran. When they said to the UAE and Saudi Arabia, we're going to pause weapons sale to you. When they told Saudi Arabia, we're no longer going to support your activities in Yemen. Those are Houthi rebels who are loyal to Iran, and the UAE— and Saudi Arabia is well, – Saudi Arabia is on the path, and the UAE has recognized Israel's uh, right to exist. And in turn, that was part of that Abraham Accords. So these are things that Iran wanted to see. Um, they are. And frankly, uh, this is where the administration, in my view, could build on a legitimate foreign policy accomplishment of the Trump administration, the Abraham Accords, bring Saudi Arabia into them. And frankly, I think that also is how this story will turn out. The pause on precision-guided munition sales to Saudi Arabia is real. I don't think that's going to come back. But there is a wide range of military cooperation we can undertake with the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, including training, uh, stationing our forces there, maritime operations. I could go on and on. The big weapons sale, Brian, which is in the tens of billions of dollars to the UAE for the Joint Strike Fighter, F-35, I'm almost certain that will go through. So it's a mixed picture, but I agree with your premise. 
we have to stay close to the Gulf Arabs. That's part of keeping pressure on Iran. So the other thing is Russia. Anthony Blinken talked about yesterday when the president visited the State Department. Cut 63. We're actually reviewing a series of Russian actions that are deeply, deeply disturbing. Uh, the, the actions taken against Mr. Navalny, including uh, the apparent use of a chemical weapon uh, against him, but also interference in our elections, the use of uh, cyber tools and the so-called solar winds attack that uh, Russia appears to be responsible for, uh, getting into computer networks, both public and private. And finally, we have the reported bounties on American troops in Afghanistan. We're looking into all of these things. All of them are under review. And depending on the findings of those reviews, we will take steps uh, to um, stand up for our interests and stand against Russian aggressive actions. And Matt said it wasn't, wasn't Anthony Blinken's State Department, but it was uh, John Kerry's, and the, he was uh, Joe Biden was vice president. When we watched as Russia goes back to the Middle East and really propped up that butcher, Bashir al-Assad, and we watched Russia go into the Ukraine, take Crimea, and stay there permanently— and we never sent weapons to allow the Ukrainians to help the Ukrainians defend themselves. So that happened when President Biden was vice president. So how does he get the Russians' attention and say, I have a different approach here? I think he's got to change course from what the Obama administration did, and I hope they do. And I'll give you two immediate things. One, in response to the cyber attacks, we should be using our own capabilities in cyber to further reveal the corruption inside Russian society to the Russian people. Um, That's what's really sparked this Navalny piece is Vladimir Putin's pleasure palace that has been built for him on the Black Sea. So use cyber aggressively. I don't think the Obama administration did that sufficiently. And number two, your point, it is definitely time for offensive weapons to Ukraine. Many of us uh, objected to the fact uh, publicly and, and strongly that the Obama administration did not send offensive weapons. Now is the time to do that. I'm hopeful this administration will learn from those two mistakes of the Obama administration and change course. Yeah, Let's very, see what happens over the coming months. What's your view on the vulnerability of Vladimir Putin and, and, and what Navalny can do? He got sent to a two-year term for a two-year term for a uh, parole violation, which he never should have been charged for. And the reason why he didn't show up for parole, he was poisoned and nearly killed and his plane was forced <laughs> down in Germany. So that now they're finding him after trying to kill him and being unsuccessful. You know, a joke if it wasn't if it wasn't so tragic. Exactly. And uh, I think Vladimir Putin's popularity is declining. But frankly, Brian, it's not cratering. Uh, he at one point was in the high 80s. He's now down, if you will, to the mid-60s, 65. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share percent approval rating. So this has yet to really impact him. Watch those poll numbers because Putin at the end of the day is like any other politician. He's got more authoritative tools at his disposal. At the end of the day, I think he weathers this, but uh, it's it's as close as I've seen anything come to really starting to uh, 
have Vladimir Putin worry. That's why he took the very reckless step of trying to poison Navalny. Um, if I were a betting man, I would bet Navalny will not be killed in prison, but he'll just be very silenced. Wow. Uh, Admiral, last question, 30 seconds. Uh, we hear that General Secretary of Defense uh, Austin is asking for a stand down as they evaluate if there's any uh, terrorists within their mix. Within their mix. Do, you, do, you su- do you support that? I do. I think it's a, a modest measure, but a sensible one. Um, he, he's asking every unit in the military over the next 60 days to do a stand down, talk about extremism, radicalization, white supremacy in the ranks. That's a good thing. All right. Admiral James Servitas, thanks so much. I look forward to your book about the next world war. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. China has rounded up more than a million Uyghurs, Chinese citizens who are a Muslim minority, and jailed them in camps. The U.S. government calls this a crime against humanity. Part of the social control includes the forced collection of DNA. Under the guise of free physicals for Uyghurs, Richardson says China is actually collecting DNA and other biometric data that's then used specifically to identify people, target other family members, and refine facial recognition software. And those, national security officials say, are just the uses we know about. And that is it. Uh, are the Chinese trying to get our biometric data? If, if so, why are they doing it? Uh, welcome back, everyone. Spring Kill Me Cho. Jonathan Ward joins us, rejoins us. He's uh, China's wrote China's vision of victory. He's also a founder of the Atlas Organization, a consultancy group focused on the rise of China and India. Jonathan, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. It's great to be back. On this topic, on 60 Minutes, caught all of our attention. What are they up to? Why do they want our uh, our data? Well, you know, China's collecting data globally. It facilitates their intelligence um, operations. I mean, at this point, they're known to be a global actor. Um, you know, they broke into the Office of Personnel Management, you know, basically gathered data on all kinds of government, um, you know, uh, officials. And, and now they're apparently going after the public around the world to just get more and more information um, to be used uh, in ways that we probably can't anticipate. But it's about collecting and having um, all of that data and using it to their advantage in their contest with the United States and with the uh, free and democratic world. So are they, are they winning when it comes seen. to the genome war and finding and DNA and battling? disease and I mean, they're operating operating under a totally different set of rules. I mean, we've already heard, um, you know, quite a bit about biological weapons programs and, um, you know, the potential use of biotech to enhance their uh, their militaries. So, you know, the problem is that they're going to be in an, an entirely different set of ethics. You know, not the kind that you'd find in a democracy, but rather in a totalitarian system that has, you know, military um, ambitions and human rights abuses uh, that it has really no compunction about. They also talked about uh, China and the Uyghurs. It's unbelievable. Uh, I'm reading some horrific stories. I won't even repeat what's happening to these Muslim Uyghurs. And this is basically what Hitler did to the to the Jews. They are rounding them up. Uh, they are using them as uh, bi- uh, biological experiments. They are using them in sl- as slave labor. And they're trying to deprogram them, they use that term, and stop them from being Muslims. Cut 65. 
Okay, what's your reaction to that? Yeah, so, you know, I, I mean, I think that as we see what China is doing, I mean, you know, often the analogy is the Soviet Union. I mean, it's a big communist state, but really a lot of what they're actually doing is a lot more like Germany in the 30s. I mean, this is a lot more like uh, Nazi Germany in certain ways. I mean, they're building up a military that's designed for conflict with their neighbors, and they're putting a lot of people, you know, a million people into concentration camps here um, in a program that's been dubbed by the State Department to be uh, genocide, uh, crimes against humanity. And Brian, I'd like to read you something because there's a testimony from from these camps that I think really deserves to be heard by every American. And, um, you know, this is a woman who escaped from one of these concentration camps in Xinjiang, um, you know, last year. And she said, she said this, uh, described it as, as follows. There were all kinds of tortures there. Some prisoners were hung on the wall and beaten with electrified truncheons. There were prisoners who were made to sit on a chair of nails. I saw people return from that room covered in blood. Some came back without fingernails. They would punish inmates for everything. Anyone who didn't follow the rules was punished. Those who didn't learn Chinese pop properly or who didn't sing the songs were also punished. You know, so that's what it's like over there. And there's just more and more evidence and reporting coming out of these camps. Um, it's, it's truly horrific. And what's worse is that, you know, the world remains economically engaged with China. We're still investing in China. We're still trading with China. They were the only economy to grow in 2020 um, in the context of a global pandemic. And, um, and this is what they're doing behind their own borders. You know, it's amazing. The Muslim community perceives that capitalism is their enemy. So they take out our towers and they're trying to blow up our embassies and Bin Laden uh, takes root in Afghanistan, targeting America. These guys actually, these this this country rounds up Muslims, tells everyone they're doing it, says I'm setting up concentration camps. We got these eyewitnesses. Why isn't the Muslim community turning their ire on them? Why do we have to be the first to condemn this behavior? Well, I think, unfortunately, there, there are many um, governments in, in the Middle East that have such close economic ties with, with China. I mean, you've seen, for example, um, you know, Pakistan's prime minister will say nothing um, about these camps. You know, there, very little is said by, yeah. um, you know, oil-producing states in the Middle East. And, and it's basically the government-to-government, um, you know, ties. I mean, China is either building infrastructure in Belt and Road countries like Pakistan, or it's uh, buying oil from, from um, you know, places in the, in the Persian Gulf. So for, for, for for those reasons, at least, um, there, there's been very little said about it. But I do think among the people, you know, I lived in the Middle East for a couple of years, and I remember even back then, um, you know, regular people in the Middle East knew about what was happening to the Uyghurs even, you know, 10 years ago. So, so I think it's a very different thing if you're, you know, your average person in the Middle East versus um, a government that's selling oil to China. Big story in the New York Times today, talking about how China, they started this pandemic and they've recovered from this pandemic and they've come roaring back. Number one, I also read three weeks ago that they locked down 20 million people because they, it started springing up in provinces outside Beijing. What are we to believe? Well, I think they have, um, you know, rebounded, and that's partly because the world is is buying a lot from China in the in the pandemic, and they shut it down early. But you know, they're going to have little spikes uh, here and there. I mean, they haven't got it totally under control, and now, you know, there's a lot of reporting about how their vaccine may not be as effective as Western vaccines. But another side to this, Brian, is that. Um, you know, the Communist Party sees this as an advantage. Um, they believe themselves to be, um, as, as one uh, foreign affairs, uh, you know, uh, person said, 
um, we're in, a, in an advantageous situation now. You know, China's in an advantageous situation. America must deal with a global pandemic and um, an economic recession. So they've always had this idea. They started talking about it around March and April about turning crisis into an opportunity and ultimately coming out of this pandemic in a stronger position in the world. So, you know, we're dealing with a really really, uh, you know, dangerous adversarial state here. And I think it's just time for us all to understand that from concentration camps to a massive military buildup to, um, you know, a communist party that actually looks at this pandemic as, as something that works to their advantage. And that tells you what kind of place we're dealing with, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it? Uh, wouldn't there be a sense of guilt to any, uh, any domesticated economy and country that would say, oh, my goodness, how could we have done this to the world? This really came out of our lab. WHO, why don't you get in here and figure out how this happens so we make sure it doesn't happen again? Instead, there are first, the WHO's first visit to it, this Wuhan lab, I think, was this week. And it's been almost a complete year since they poisoned the world and destroyed our economy. And we have over 400,000 dead. And they're, and they're bragging that they came back first? Uh, that's right. They're, they're bragging that they came back first. And, uh, and you're right. I mean, more, uh, more American deaths than combat deaths in World War II now. Um, and, and, you know, to China's leadership, this, this is basically, um, you know, they are in an, an advantageous position in their strategic competition with the United States. Very dark stuff. So um, some former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo joined us Monday. And, and here's what he was saying about, uh, about China and where we stand now, and the pride he has in taking them on. Cut 36. Does he mean back to when ISIS controlled a caliphate in Syria that was the size of Britain? I, I hope not. President Trump and our team took that down. When, when he says back, when America's back, does he mean back to letting China walk all over us, destroying millions of jobs in places like Kansas and South Carolina that we know so well, Trey? I hope that's not what he means by back. D does he mean, he, he talked about allies. When he go, says go back, does, does he mean back to dissing allies and friends like Israel and treating the terrorists in Iran like friends by giving them $150 billion in pallets of cash. I, I don't think the American people can afford to go back to eight more years of Barack Obama's foreign policy. I hope they'll move forward with a foreign policy that looks much more like our America first foreign policy. We sent an aircraft carrier through the Taiwan Strait between the two countries, uh, even though they look at it as one country. Uh, what, kind of, what kind of mess do you think China has gotten so far? Well, you know that they they practiced a bombing raid on the USS Teddy Roosevelt. Um, you know, in in the midst of all their air sorties into uh, Taiwanese airspace, they also apparently uh, practiced uh, sinking the Teddy Roosevelt. So, you know, this is uh, um, I think a a regime that is very confident. It, it it realizes that it's closing the military gap with the United States. And, um, you know, for us, we've got this very short window to um, actually run a successful containment strategy towards China. And if, and if we miss that window, um, you're talking about a place that's going to have a military that can beat ours and an economy that's even larger than ours. And at that point, uh, the whole thing's over. So, you know, I, I think we have a very brief time here in which to um, really take a, a, an effective strategy towards China. And, you know, obviously, Secretary Pompeo uh, really led a counter China um, approach worldwide, and, and we're going to need to keep doing that somehow. I, th I think the, the new administration's put in a few good people, which is good news, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we have yet to see if this is going to be priority. And when you say short window, five years? I'd say less, you know, three, four, five, you know, around then. And that means getting allies involved and their neighbors involved. 
That's right. That's right. I mean, we're going to need to do this with the allies. And right now, the biggest problem there is with Germany. I mean, they're so tied to the Chinese economy that Merkel has, has, has really not been uh, you know, working with the U.S. on any of this, whereas our relations with India are very good on this. Um, with, with Britain, it's becoming increasingly uh, strongly uh, you know, real uh, partner on this. And then with, uh, with Japan, of course, and Australia, I mean, that's all going in the right direction. But we're going to have to get Europe on board. And, and we're going to have to deal with our own business sector. I mean, our banks, are funding China's rise. I mean, that to me is the biggest problem right now. Which is nuts. I mean, can any can can these big financial companies can can uh, big business actually think about America first? And and does government have to come in and let them know that, or else all our manufacturing is going to be overseas again? Uh, crazy. Well. well that's right. I mean, you can't sell off the rest of the U.S. industrial base. I mean, we're at risk now not only of losing the industries of the past, you know, steel and things like that, but also potentially of losing the industries of the future. So, um, you know, the, the problem is that, that Wall Street is betting on Chinese growth. And I think that at the end of the day, they're going to have to be restrained by the U.S. government. I mean, that should be a, a serious priority in the all right, uh, Jonathan, thanks so much. Uh, your book, The Chinese, China's Vision of Victory, uh, apropos, to say the least. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Brian. All right, when we come back, uh, your calls, 1 866 408 7669. We're just getting started. Brian Kilmicho. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Tom Brady seems like the kind of man who doesn't know how to use a wrench. <laughs> kind of true. Hi, I'm Tom Brady, and I'm a crybaby, and I have a butthole in my chin. Butthole? Can we be real for a moment? Is there really anyone you'd rather see dropped in a vat of rendered bacon fat? <laughs> and Tom Brady. <laughs> Hope everyone has a great Monday, except for Tom Brady. F*** you, Tom Brady. And those weren't Patriot fans. Uh, they Most of the Patriot fans are with him, but Tom Brady meaning, me, reading his mean tweets on Jimmy Kimmel, which they've been known to do before. Remember, Barack Obama read a mean tweet. Uh, and what about Donald Trump? He goes, the only thing different is, remember that? He goes, uh, uh, I was president. You'll never be president. That didn't turn out to be correct. Joe Montana had a pretty good soundbite. So... Tom Brady grew up in San Francisco worshiping Joe Montana, and up until Tom Brady came along, most people agreed Joe Montana the best or second best quarterback ever. And he was asked about why Tom Brady keeps playing, and he says he totally gets it and he should never retire. Cut 51. I totally get it. It's it's like a drug. I can't even explain it, and I always say that I wish everyone could play one Sunday afternoon out on the field, win or lose, just to feel the adrenaline rushes that go through you, up and down, uh, fighting back, coming it, It's crazy. And then the only bad part about it is is why people try to play so long is, is I said, once you've tried it, you'll understand. But mm. there's no, once you leave, there's no going back. There's no pickup games. 
See, uh, he said he was on to say, you know, you play basketball, you can go out and play basketball. You know, you, you play baseball, you can go out and play baseball. But in football, you can't get a bunch of, you can't get 24 guys again and just start tackling each other again. And he regrets, he said, I had a couple of years left of my contract with Kansas City. They did so well in his last year. He said, but I just decided to retire and I regret it because you just can't go back. He's been unable to replicate it. One of the nice guys you'll meet too, but a little bitter against Steve Young because he felt Young forced him out of San Francisco despite everything he, he had accomplished there. So the other thing I wanted to touch on, before I before I go this hour, rather than do a more no here, I want to expand on on this subplot, and I also know I'm playing into it a little. These Democrats want to focus on Congresswoman Green. They want to focus on security at the Capitol, and now they want to focus on uh, anything that has to do with the legislation because it's remarkably unpopular. They're about to jam through a 1.9 trillion dollar purely party line vote. They just lost maybe 25,000 minimum jobs with the XL pipeline and getting rid of the wall. So then Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, to me, decides to make things worse. When you talk about the Capitol raid, this woman is all about her. No matter what happens, she's not offering legislation to find a way to get the schools open in Queens, New York, or the bars open for Super Bowl Sunday. She has to recount how she felt the day of the, 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 the hit on the Capitol, January 6th, cut 14. I jump into my bathroom um, and I close the door. And I just keep hearing these bang, bang, bang. I open the door when all of a sudden I hear that whoever was trying to get inside got into my office. And I just hear, where is she? Where is she? And um, this was the moment where I thought everything was over. So here's the deal. She was about a 10-minute walk away. Nobody ever came into the Cannon Building where she was located. Congresswoman Nancy Mace knew, never met AOC, but was sitting the next door, right next door to her, said there was no invasion, nobody was banging, and it turned out the person banging at her door was actually a cop, making sure she was okay. And she said, when I looked at the cop, I wasn't sure if it was going to hurt me or not. That just plays into a whole thing. She hates cops. So here's the congresswoman with a different account, basically calling her a liar. Cut 19. This was a traumatic experience, and I'm not going to discount that for anyone that lived through that day. It was a very harrowing experience. But we have to separate fact from fiction. And the facts are there there was no violent mob in the hallways. Uh, The the folks who were there to riot weren't in the Cannon office building. Um, And so we have to be very clear and not exaggerate this experience or take advantage of it and politicize it in any way, shape, or form. And that that was my entire point, just to be truthful about it. Yeah, can you be truthful? And and Nancy Mace came up there. By the way, could not be more impressed with the South Carolina rookie uh, congresswoman, Miranda Devine, on the fact uh, the fact that AOC again has to put herself in the middle of something while not doing her job. Cut twenty. Representative Nancy Mace is quite right. Um, she's being factual. There is absolutely no benefit to the American public to be exaggerating the threat of what happened on January six. It was bad enough without pretending that something happened to you, which didn't. And um, I I think Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez should be apologising to the Capitol Hill police officer who she has maligned and who she claimed looked at her with, with a horrible face or something and was threatening to her. He came to evacuate her and save her. Yeah, but she's never going to, especially as a Democrat. She thinks cops are the problem. Unbelievable. Uh, and then this legislation passed in this Voterama last night. 
It's about to pass, and we're going to owe $1.9 trillion again. And a lot of Democratic programs are going to be funded. Go to the Bryant Road, Bryant, my website, BrianKilme.com. Order any of my books, including the book George Washington's Secret Six, will be featured on What Made America Great on Fox Nation. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. From New York, heard around the country, around the world, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, this hour, we're going to be talking to the former president and general manager of the New York Jets, as well as the Miami Dolphins, Mike Tannenbaum, now ESPN personality. He's put together his own uh, his own newsletter really goes inside the numbers and the, and the players as we get set to look at Super Bowl 55 coming up on Sunday, 6:15 kickoff, and that'll be in Tampa. Of course, it'll be Tom Brady and, and uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks against the defending champion Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. I think there's going to be there's no way this game will not be entertaining, exciting, and interesting. I really believe Tampa's going to find a way to win. So before we get to Geraldo who's standing by, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Safe reopening of schools is not, um, that vaccination of teachers is not a prerequisite for safe reopening of schools. Dr. Walensky um, spoke to this uh, in her personal capacity. Obviously, she's the head of the CDC, but we're going to wait for the final guidance. Uh, there we go. Uh, Jen Psaki not committing to her own CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, who says open up the schools. Yep, school and sports. Open them up and let them play. Parents and students and players are making the demands and, dare I say, making some progress. Governor of Michigan has given in and they can play sports there. Number two. I jump into my bathroom um, and I close the door. I open the door when all of a sudden I hear, where is she? Where is she? I thought everything was over. AOC's seemingly fictional drama, Marjorie Taylor Greene's committee ouster, Pelosi's sudden need for massive security to protect her from the enemy within, which are Republicans, how the Dems are trying and succeeding in keeping the GOP off balance, and why they can do it right, what they can do to get this right and right their own ship and send the speaker into retirement in less than two years. Number one. Last year, the Senate passed five bills, both with Republicans and, and Democrats, over 60 votes in every, every bill. The Democrats this time have decided they're not even going to talk to us. Yep, uh, Rick Scott upset because five times last year, Republicans and Democrats combined to pass rescue packages totaling over $4 trillion. This time, the Dems were happy to go it alone. Despite a massive decrease in COVID cases and economy showing some signs of reviving, when will the left's priorities match the nation's needs? And joining us now is Geraldo Rivera. Uh, Geraldo, you're a guy that talked about coming together. Can we get somebody coming together? You heard... Uh, Joe Biden's inaugural address. Is this coming together 50-50 with the vice president becoming the 51st vote? And that is just to have the right for reconciliation, which we need just a simple majority for passage? I think that people have to remember the Georgia special election, how crucial it was, and the woeful job of campaigning former President Donald Trump did. He made it all about him. 
He didn't help the, the, the turnout of Republicans in Georgia at all. And this is the real world consequences. I mean, to your, to your major point, it also shows that uh, the Democrats are intent on using that most slender majority, 5150, to do whatever it is they want to do. This is the, this is the real world consequences. Welcome to uh, the, the dictatorship of the majority. Uh, they're going to be jamming stuff down the throats of Republicans on a regular basis. And Kamala Harris is going to be the hitman. It's uh, it's very disconcerting, Brian. Well, I think so too. But you know, so I guess we should just take that inaugural address and just throw it away because the ten GOP senators forced their way their way in to meet with Joe Biden, drew up their own plan instead of negotiating off that plan. They just hoped Joe Manchin would stand up to his party. Now we don't know for sure yet, but do you expect Manchin or Cinema to put the brakes on? They're on the record saying they don't want the minimum wage, and they do believe the money is too great. I, I don't believe – I don't have any faith in that premise at all, Brian. I, I don't think uh, the Democrats are going to break ranks. I think they, uh, they're they breathing a tremendous sigh of relief that uh, Trump is out of office and uh, subject to uh, conviction in an impeachment trial. Uh, the, this is revenge time. Uh, it, it does seem for the first time – uh, really, since we've been talking about it, that indeed the progressive wing of the of the party and the Democratic side is uh, is is ascendant, and this 5150 vote on a 1.9 trillion dollar package. Remember, just yesterday the president was saying he was willing to talk about narrowing the focus of the yeah. $1,400 monthly stimulus checks. Now that's irrelevant. Now that's gone too. Now he doesn't even have to. Uh, you know, negotiate about who gets the dough, even if the people are relatively flush and uh, and upscale. Uh, you know, they, they're going to get checks under this scheme. And uh, uh, I, I think that this is going to be a, a real beating legislatively for the next two years, uh, certainly for the next year plus until, uh, uh, you know, uh, a Tea Party like situation develops and activist Republicans begin um, making their voices heard, Brian. Well, do you really believe you need a activist Republican base, or do you think Kevin McCarthy can unite the party and together in, in a, this so-called Big Tent? Do you really need activists? Do you really well, maybe, need another Tea Party? I think that you're kinder to Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader in the House, than I am. I was very, very... Uh, angry at him for what he did to Liz Cheney and how he raked her over the coals and then went to see the president at the at a, that crucial time. Uh, you know, that helped, if anything, harden the uh, the Democrats' radicalism. I, I, I was very disappointed in Kevin McCarthy, who's very personable. Uh, he's, a, he's, he's charismatic. Uh, he's a lot more uh, appealing than, say, Matt Gates. Uh, the South Florida uh, congressman. I, I like Kevin McCarthy, uh, but uh, he, he did not seem to me to be a true leader. Uh, that that whole shameful episode with Liz Cheney her threatening her being uh, uh, stripped of her leadership role, the legendary Republican family, I, I really, uh, that was a blow to my confidence in Kevin McCarthy. Well, I would say this. I mean, you did, you know, you basically had him come down on Donald Trump. And say no question, Donald Trump uh, started this thing, and then he doesn't really bring that up anymore. And he went to bat for Liz Cheney behind closed doors. That's why she retains her spot primarily. 
Well, you know, it's fine. I I, I get you. I, I hear no no harm, no foul. Uh, but when but to to have a situation where all right, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I I don't know her. I don't. I didn't know her before she became a congressperson. I I seriously don't know about QAnon. Uh, but I mean, if indeed she was. Uh, you know, scoffing or belittling or uh, denying the reality of the school shootings and really uh, advocated, uh, uh, you know, uh, the fact that Jews were using lasers to start wildfires. I mean, she deserved, richly deserved to be stripped of her committee assignments, and Kevin McCarthy should have led the way on that. Uh, Why do you even give her the committee assignments from the get-go? She made Steve King look like a liberal. Uh, and what he did with Liz Cheney, again, I come back to that. I was going to quit the Republican Party. I tweeted out that if she goes, I would go. I was willing to give up my uh, my longtime Republican Party affiliation. Remember, I was going to run for mayor in New York in mm-hmm. 2000. I was going to run for a senator uh, when uh, Lautenberg died in New Jersey uh, as Republican. Uh, I was going to give it all up, uh, even though it was a party that uh, my dad had when I was in high school and so forth, uh, because of the uh, the seeming cowardice on the part of Republican leadership. But now, I mean, I, I think that the the news in the Senate trumps the internal divisions in the Republican Party. The news that the Democrats and uh, will attempt to be one party rule is, I think, the biggest political news, aside right. from the fact that you have the impeachment trial coming. But the thing is, uh, you could only do the reconciliation with uh, things with numbers and taxes. You can't do that with everything. You can't just jam immigration down or anything like that. You can pass some executive orders, but you'll not be able to do comprehensive uh, immigration. Or, and obviously, you can't get a treaty passed uh, without getting the majority or two-thirds majority. I want to bring you to another area, and that is schools. There is a huge push in this country to get kids back to schools, and when you see the private schools doing it, uh, the parents are losing it in Virginia. We sent Ainsley down there with, for Fox and Friends. You see it about the mad dad last week. What about the mad liberal mayor, Mayor Lori Lightfoot? She wanted the kids back in school months ago. The unions are not giving. They gave the unions everything they wanted in terms of safety and security. Here's what she said yesterday. Cut 26. After 80-plus meetings and going above and beyond to address the CTU leadership's various issues and concerns, we are out of runway. Black and brown kids who look like me, coming from circumstances like the one that I grew up in, who are struggling and are failing. We are failing those children by not giving them the option to return to school. And that's just a little of it. You're going to tell me that she's playing partisan politics or does she know this is these uh, these guys are getting paid anyway, and they're sitting at home, and the teachers that want to come forward are not are prevented from for the union. What do you say to those kids in Chicago? Well, let me first say that Lori Lightfoot was one of my least favorite yeah. politicians in the nation during the Trump presidency because I thought me she too. was extremely unfair to the president and took every opportunity to undercut him and stab him in the back. But what I heard yesterday was, and really for the first time in my experience with uh, just the consuming news about Lori Lightfoot, I saw someone who I really believed uh, had been sincerely affected. Uh, I thought that she was eloquent. Uh, her pain spoke volumes. Uh, I, I did not think that the, what you saw was someone self-interested. I think you saw a chief executive of a major American city frustrated that the children were falling behind and being hurt by what the teachers are doing. And I, I and she really became every parent uh, in the – I don't know if she has kids, but she became every parent, uh, at least uh, in my mind, when I heard that anguish. 
Uh, and uh, you know, you think about it. It's just it just makes uh, sense. Uh, you, you, we have uh, kids, and they have computers, and they have a little room, and the Wi-Fi, and then this and then that. Yeah. Picture a, a house in the ghetto where uh, there's barely uh, a functioning uh, a social unit. There's no dad. Uh, the, you had a kid as a teenager, another one who's six years old, another one someplace in between. Uh, they got one computer. If they have two computers, the, the Wi-Fi stinks. I mean, it's just the 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 to think that those children are getting educated is a preposterous uh, uh, and, and, and presumptuous uh, idea. It's just not happening. They're not getting educated. They're falling behind. They're getting more into drugs, suicide, domestic violence. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, I, I do think that it really is shameful. I, I also believe this damn thing is almost over. We're almost, it's almost over. Uh, but uh, these teachers, what they're doing is I've heard from Fauci from day one that public schools were safer than the kids on the street from day one. And uh, and it only got more firm in that conviction uh, the more vaccines became available and the more we understood the six feet rule and the uh, masking rule and, and so forth. It's so much safer in school than out of school. And I think that Lori Lightfoot in the most eloquent speech of her life, uh, really uh, encapsulated that yesterday, Brian. So Bill McGurn had this point, and I think that if there's something good to come out of this, it's this, cut 30. The science is very clear, and it's very clear from the Catholic schools. Catholic schools in a lot of these cities that have been closed, like Chicago, Catholic schools have been open. They don't have a lot of funding. And they're able to keep COVID at bay by instituting some practices. What's lacking is not the federal billions or anything, but the will to open them up. And the Catholic schools is a great example to the contrary. And he believes those tuitions are going to grow and those numbers are going to grow when they were actually suffering. I think a lot of people between the curriculum and what they're witnessing now, watching these teams win championships and play games and go to school is convincing a lot of parents who have the wherewithal to try it, don't you? I absolutely agree, and I, I totally embrace it. And shame on the public schools that they have not been able to evolve and keep up. Uh, but private schools and parochial schools and charter schools have done a magnificent job compared to public schools. Public schools, it seems to me, and I hate to say it, I'm a union person. I'm in SAG after the union. The president just quit. I'm sure you are, too. Uh, you were union people. Uh, my brother was a union steam fitter. My, my son is a union elevator operate, uh, builder. Uh, you know, unions are part of our lives. When I look at the teachers' union, it never works. It's just like a, ten, a tenured professors in these colleges once they get, you know, lifelong uh, job security. That's when they start drifting off and writing papers about, uh, you know, cosmic uh, effects on the Israeli-Palestinian relationship or something. Uh, you know, they they it, it it you can't. It's very difficult when you have no leverage at all with your entire workforce and they're getting paid and getting full benefits for not working why wouldn't they say even if there's a tiny risk i'm not going to endure the tiny risk screw you i don't have to as long as there's a public health emergency and it's so sad to see uh, the the institutional selfishness of of the union the collective strength of the union and the way they have these communities by the cojones uh, and they, they, they can extract whatever uh, a kind of, uh, uh, not, mm-hmm. not compensation, but whatever kind of conditional uh, conditions they want in, uh, in, their, in their job situation. It's really, 
Uh, it's what? so pathetic well, me, to see how powerless management is. And, you know, with teachers. and I just got to correct the record. I'm not in the union. I did an under five at a soap opera called Another World, and they asked me to join. I didn't have the $275, but you went ahead and used your union to be on Baywatch, where you and a bunch of other shirtless bodyguards uh, pretended to save people and the get big ratings. Baywatch ever. <laughs> this is all true. Look it up on YouTube. Geraldo right. on Baywatch. He's brilliant. There's nothing this guy hasn't done. Geraldo, thank you so much. Okay, Brian. Have, Have a great weekend. weekend. Hey, when you come back, it's going to be your turn. 1-866-408-7669. I see you in Atlanta. I see you in Nebraska. I see you in, on Long Island. And then Mike Tannenbaum, bottom of the hour. We go inside the numbers. Uh, Super Bowl 55. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Tell me where you are on discussions to perhaps send masks to every American. Is, Is that happening or can you tell us, you know, where the discussions are on that? Yeah, you know, Lester, this was an idea that really came up last year in the Trump administration. Uh, the uh, public health agencies recommended it. President Trump vetoed it for some reason. We want to get this back on track. I hope in the next few days or next week we may be able to announce some progress on this. Come on. We don't need masks. We know where to get them. They're right down the block. People give them away. Don't waste our money. Go through the postal system and mail everybody a mask we know about already. That no wonder we maybe you wanted to mail them out right away because we didn't have enough. But now that we have enough, we don't need a mask in every mailbox. Howard listening on Coil over in Omaha, Nebraska. Howard. Hey, Brian. AOC has no standing to be telling her wild tales about being under assault. She was, as you kind of pointed out, she was as far away as the Library of Congress or, or the Supreme Court building. Her building was not under assault. I talked to my congressman's office to kind of confirm that this morning. I know, it's a joke. Michael, Atlanta, Michael. Good morning, Brian. Why are we listening to this loony AOC about what happened in January? She didn't even know what a garbage disposal was. So, you know, give me a break. And and please, and I born, raised, and lived in Georgia all my life. Please tell Geraldo that Georgia didn't turn against Trump. We turned against our feckless Governor Shemp because he didn't do anything to fix I don't know, Michael. I think they divided the vote, and you guys couldn't afford to lose any. It didn't help. When you go into war with the governor and the secretary of state, you, even even I don't care if you're on Trump's side or the other side. If you're on the Republican side, it just shows a division. And they were much more organized. And now America's paying the price for it. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Oh, I'm super excited to be here. I mean, it's definitely like like another dream come true. It's just pretty wild to come out of retirement. Uh, come, you know, down to Tampa and then come to the Super Bowl and it be in your hometown, uh, the Super Bowl game. I mean, it's, you know, it's history. It's never been made before that a team makes it to their, uh, you know, to their, to their, to the Super Bowl that's at, you know, their home stadium. It's the first time ever happening in history. So, you know, it's, uh, it's like, 
mind-boggling, actually. And it's it's a lot of fun. It is. Not many people thought Tampa would be in the Super Bowl when they got it a few years ago, but they awarded to that site, and it's always a great site. I would last time the first time I was ever there was two thousand when the Giants lost to the Ravens. And that was Rob Gronkowski who comes out of retirement a year with Fox and then rejoins Tom Brady with the Bucks. Not the impactful player he was, but the team is in the Super Bowl getting better every week. And now they're at home. But what's weird about it is not many people in Tampa, considering Super Bowl week usually takes over a city. And you only have one city visiting and really not the not the great numbers usual because it's Kansas City, but you don't have that influx of tourists because Bucks fans, for the most part, live in Tampa. Joining us now is Mike Tannenbaum, ESPN NFL uh, insider, uh, former GM of the Jets uh, and uh, the Miami Dolphins. And you can follow him at Real Tannenbaum on Twitter. Uh, Mike, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian, great to be with you. Appreciate you having me. And what a great weekend of football we're about to have. I guess so. But tell me about your newsletter, too. This reminds I mean, you're, you're the like most entrepreneurial guy. I mean, it seems like you're busier in between NFL jobs than you are when you had your NFL job. <laughs> no, I appreciate that, Brian. Um, basically, it's a consortium of former head coaches and GMs that want to put out very thoughtful, differentiated observations about uh, what's going on in the NFL and really like just very lucky to be around people like Wade Phillips and Jim Caldwell and Eric Mangini, uh, a lot of former GMs like uh, Ray Farmer, Joe Banner, and we just try to put out information that people find to be interesting and thought-provoking. And along the way, if we can help young people get to where they want to go, we have some great grad students. Uh, that's something I'd like to accomplish as well. Wow, it's called the 33rd team. So, Mike, uh, this is probably the easiest game to sell. You got the the uh, you got a former MVP in Patrick Mahomes. We're going for a second title, and Tom Brady. What he's done is unthinkable. I believe that the Bucs are going to win it because they're the team getting better. Am I wrong? Boy, it's going to be a well of a game. And I would say if they played 10 times, Brian, in my opinion, I think Kansas City would win maybe six of them. It's a close game. I think the great equalizer in this game is Eric Fisher, the very talented left tackle of the Chiefs, is out. And Todd Bowles has done a great job as the defense coordinator of the Buccaneers. And I think so much has been said about Brady and Mahomes, but – don't underestimate this Buccaneer pass rush, and I think what you're saying makes a ton of sense. That could be the big difference in this game. What's so interesting is so Patrick Mahomes coming. You know, I have a six-round draft pick in Brady, and everybody knows that was uh, that that story. But Patrick Mahomes was gettable. He was gettable by the Bears. Uh, you know, he was gettable in 2017. There were a lot of good players in there. He was gettable by the Jets, uh, who took Jamal Adams, and now has since been traded. And I read that. Uh, Sean Payton went to see Patrick Mahomes plays, the head coach of the New Orleans Saints, and said, after watching him practice, that is the best college quarterback he's ever seen. What did you know about Mahomes, and what, why did so many other people not know how good he'd become? Yeah, we really liked the Miami. He is a guy that can make all the throws, great athlete. A lot of things that Coach Payton talked about, very, very apparent on tape, Ryan. Um, and I don't want to use the word negative, but if there was a negative about him or a concern, it was that offense at Texas Tech in the Big 12 with Cliff Kingsbury had been putting up massive numbers for years with substandard quarterbacks. And whether it's and one of the things I've learned the last couple of years, Brian, being in the media, I do think there's a little bit of a herd mentality. And what I mean by that is 
you, you get these labels like, well, anybody can put up numbers in, the, in that offense. Well, that's really not true. Like what Mahomes has done is, you know, really that special. Um, and, you know, we saw that a little bit last year, just go off topic for a second with Justin Herbert. You know, Justin Herbert was a guy that was my number one quarterback. And, you know, he wound up going after Joe Burrow and Tua because people didn't know as much about him out in Oregon. And I think what happened when you think about with Mahomes is there was a discount on his production because people said it was Kingsbury, it was Texas Tech, it was the Big 12, and anybody could produce. But obviously, he's a generational talent. And to Kansas City's credit, Brian, they traded up for him and got him. Right. And he said the Saints were prepared to take him, and Kansas City uh, made the move. And, of course, they had Alex Smith there who trained him for a year, and then uh, then he lost his job again. First he lost it to Colin Kaepernick, and then he goes to Kansas City. And then he loses that job to this guy, Patrick Mahomes. He ends up in Washington. Uh, a couple other things. Uh, Andy Reid talked about uh, Patrick Mahomes and how he's not worried about distraction. Cut 58. Your mind is on things that are going to directly affect the game at this time. And and uh, you want to try to maximize that. And that's, uh, that's what he does. So I don't think he's probably thinking too much about the other part. I, I'm sure he loves the challenge of, playing against Tampa Bay. They're a good football team, and Tom Brady's a friend of his. So, I mean, I think that uh, somebody looks up to, so I think that's that's kind of a neat deal for him. But I think when you really get down to what he's thinking about, and that's just making sure he's got the game plan down and ready to go. And the thing is, there really is no distraction. He came, They came uh, – talk about, Mike, how different this is. Usually they're there for a week, and now they're there for a day. You know what's amazing, Brian? How about this? So Kansas City is going to fly in on Saturday. Win or lose, they're flying out Sunday night like a regular game. There's still COVID protocols. Um, so what's really remarkable is this is going to feel totally different than any other game. Now, obviously, Tampa's at home. There's a lot to be said about that as a home team for the Super Bowl. But I do think that helps Kansas City from a standpoint of they're not going down to a full stadium, you know, a Buccaneers home field. And I think it's going to come down to fourth quarter and maybe who has the ball last. And one of the things, too, Brian, that Andy Reid deserves a ton of credit is how much he's evolved from when he's been the head coach of the Eagles in terms of this offense looks nothing like his early days. And I think that's the great sign of a leader, which is someone who's authentic and open-minded and says, you know what, like, I have some of the most explosive playmakers ever in Tyreek Hill and McCole Hardman and Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, and we're going to do things – that play their strength, and I think Andy Reid deserves so much credit for that. So a couple of things. We're watching the NBA, and we're talking to Mike Tannenbaum, who used to run the Dolphins and Jets, and now uh, a standout analyst at ESPN, who's got his own newsletter now called The 33rd Team. Get it at the 33rdteam.com. We'll see with the NBA, LeBron's like, I'm moving, I'm moving. Um, you know, you see uh, Kevin Durant, I'd like to go to the Nets, and I'm going to bring, I'm going to just force some other players like James Harden to come with me and Kyrie Irving. They're packaging themselves up and becoming bigger than the coaches and bigger than the teams. Are we seeing the beginning of that with Deshaun Watson at 25 years old saying, I've had it with the Texans, I will not play? I am going to force yeah. a move? Are we seeing the beginning of what's happening in the NBA and the NBA? Brian, I think it's such a great point. I look at five quarterbacks. He's one. Matthew Stafford just went through it as two. You look at, obviously, what's going on possibly with Carson Wentz, Aaron Rodgers, and even Dak Prescott, where you're seeing player-led movement. And what's fascinating to me is you go to the Houston Texans situation. Six months ago, Deshaun Watson signs this incredible transformational contract, and then six short months later, 
he wants out. That's a really unusual situation, but I think you're right. I think this truly could be the offseason of complete transformation in the NFL where you could have upwards of these five dynamic quarterbacks say, you know what, regardless of my contract status, I don't want to be here anymore. You know, from a fan perspective, Mike, I mean, I understand the players. you got to maximize the time in which you're in your athletic uh, prime. But from a fan perspective, I don't like it. I think it's hurt the NBA. They might have. It might be kind of cool to see LeBron and the Lakers, but he isn't Brian Level Laker. It's his third team, you know. And you know, packaging players together. I mean, the Nets. It's fun to watch, but they're not Nets. They made themselves Nets for two years, wore that jersey, and then who knows what's going to happen in the long run. I think it cheapens the game and it hurts fan loyalty. I I, I agree. I'm a little bit of a traditionalist where. You know, Patrick Mahomes should retire a Kansas City Chief. Yeah. And, you know, Tom Brady could have or should have, you know, you could argue that he should have retired a Patriot. But that's just this day and age where, you know, players feel like they're their own entity. Um, there are collectively bargain rules, but some players, like a LeBron James, like a James Harden, like a Deshaun Watson, they have so much leverage and pull in the marketplace that they could probably get away with this. And what's interesting to me is if I was an NFL team, if I was running the Jets today, Brian, and I was on the phone with the GM, the Houston Texans, I would not get off the phone. I would get the deal done because Deshaun Watson is incredibly talented. He'd be the face of your franchise. And like most good corporations in business, media, in in sports, you have to be opportunistic. And when a, a player and give the Nets credit, like, they were able to go get James Harden, and some team, if Watson leaves, they should take advantage of it. But I do agree with you, underlying all this, you have to ask yourself, like, why is this happening and how can we prevent it? Yeah, from the fan perspective, and, you you know, you're being honest with the with the Jets. Uh, you do not believe in Darnold, and you would make, even though he was their number one selection, you, you, would, move, you would look to move him? You, would, you don't think he's the franchise quarterback? And here's why, Brian, I, I don't, because he's been there three years. And at some point, if you're great, you're going to show your greatness somewhere. You're going to be able to make a player to win a couple of games because you put your team on your back. I think he has a chance to be good. I just think Deshaun Watson has a chance to be great. He is great. If you have a chance yeah. to get like I, Brian, I think Deshaun Watson could be Derek Jeter. I think he could rule New York for the next 15 years. And think about what that could do for the Jet franchise that's always struggle to be you know the backseat to the new york giants they have Derek jeter for the next 10 years a great player who's classy and well-spoken and to be in front of your franchise for a long long time i think that's too good of an opportunity to pass up how much money is football losing by not having fans how much are they losing in a game like this by by not having the hoopla around it i i admire that they're playing and i know they're they're they have contracts to fulfill but uh, how how damaging is this fiscally? Yeah, though they've lost hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, look, you know, there'll be some business interruption insurance, which, as we both know, Brian, with insurance companies, I'm sure there'll be some settlement where they may not get every cent, you know, 100% on, on the dollar. But I think to the NFL and the NFLPA's credit, they've played a full season. We're not talking about COVID. We're talking about a great game between two all-time greats and Mahomes and Brady. Um, but no doubt about it, you know, we, we're seeing the damage economically. And where that will show up, Brian, specifically, will be in March when we get the new cap. And the cap will probably go down for the first time. And when it goes down, that's going to squeeze a whole bunch of players. So the, the pain in a collectively bargaining relationship will be spread amongst everybody. Wow. So, uh, so Mike, your prediction for you're saying it's going to be the last possession and you, who's going to win this game? 
I'm going to go 27-24 uh, Kansas City, but boy, I, I think it's so razor thin, and I, I hate to predict against Tom Brady, especially what he did for me all those against me all those years with the Jets and the Dolphins, but I just think Mahomes is just that much better right now than anybody else. But boy, without with five backups on that chief offensive line, I really wouldn't be surprised to see the uh, result go the other way. Mike Tannenbaum, can't thank you enough. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. All Appreciate right. you having me. You got it. Got it. Uh, that's uh, ESPN's uh, Mike Tannenbaum. He's also a professor, I believe, at Columbia. And he's also running his own newsletter, The 33rd Team. Uh, listen, when we come back, I see you up there. We'll find out if we can get some calls and if there's more to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Tom Brady, you suck booty. You ugly. You suck. You throw like a fat lady with a flabby arm and a little girl butt face. Hashtag Tom Brady. Hashtag suck. You suck. Tom Brady, you fat bitch. I hope you cry. I do cry too. You, Tom Brady, I hope this loss depresses you so bad that you hardly have sex with your supermodel wife in your giant mansion. I have no comment to that. So that was Tom Brady reading mean tweets. They're uh, great. There's, yeah. We have three parts of this. Oh, you have another one? We do. Do you want to hear it? Or we could do it later. Um, let's hear it. Do you ever watch, listen to Tom Brady speak and think to yourself, this is the personification of an actual butthole taking <laughs> I hate Tom Brady so much, but I have no legit reason to. He's a nice guy, but I hope they break his leg. <laughs> Tom Brady really is a good QB, but he will forever be known as a <laughs> <bitch>. <laughs> you, Tom Brady. I hope your dog eats chocolate and gets really sick and throws up on your sock. That's Oh. <laughs> really mean tweets. Sports fans are have a they like to type profanity, huh? Right. Hey, uh, I would love to get Obama's mean tweet on Trump. That would be pretty cool. Okay, we'll see if well, I can Let's get find it. out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Well, you know how I love the Impractical Jokers, and so do you. Indeed. Warner Media is serious about the stars of True TV's highest-rated franchise. As part of a first-look deal with Joe Gatto, Murr, who's always in here, Q, and Sal, who hasn't been in here in a while, but he was the first, I think, to come in. The comedy troupe will develop and produce original unscripted scripted programming for TNT, TBS, and True TV, as well as HBO Max. That's incredible. It is, and they uh, just launched season nine, and they've been renewed for a tenth run. Here's the thing: I think it's because everyone loves a good practice, or most people love a good practice. But you joke. know the key: what? they make themselves. They laugh at them. They don't make fun of other people. That's the key to it. They make themselves the the butt of the joke. I would agree, but aren't the best practical jokes in your head like the ones where you think of that you did to your friends or family? 
Right. I don't really spend that much time in practical jokes because it takes a lot of energy to get the practical jokes. You're also not the biggest fan of impractical uh, practical. Uh, you don't like April Fool's Day. I'll say that. Totally against it. Next. Three star Olivia Newton-John defends the movie, but I can't believe she has to do that. I think it's silly. Why? Because people are calling out the movie. She's 72 now. Remember, this is was put out in the 70s, about the 1950s. One person said the drive-in botch makeout session between Danny and Sandy hasn't aged well. Film kind of glides right into song Sandy before viewers register the date rapey vibe of the scene they just got saw. Another said, just watching Grease, one of my favorite films, and it's so of its time, misogynistic, sexist, and a bit rapey. People need to relax. People need to realize how things were back then. Same thing with people who are freaking out over what Gone with the Wind. Like, can you not watch anything and understand no. times have changed, but the, just appreciate this? Good no, movie? we can't. The answer is no. Ugh. Next. Um, next, a Peloton pedals to a record $1 billion in quarterly revenue. They actually read this letter there that they were apologizing for not being able to deliver the product. The maker of the connected fitness equipment saw a sales jump $1 billion from $466 million a year ago, above the $1.4 billion the analyst tracked it to be. Peloton continues to face inventory shortages with longer than acceptable wait times. But this is a good problem to have. The company plans to invest more than $100 million in air freight and expedited ocean freight. They were like they were the talk of how they were cratering. What's their future? Now people are just hooked. You remember there was that ad that you know some people thought was so offensive. It was a good ad, and now everyone wants the Peloton. I actually did it for the first time. I've done it seventy-five times. My daughter's way over a hundred, and last night I went and did the, probably the hardest one yet by a guy I never saw before, an Australian guy, and. Um, he talks mellow and played rap music, but it was a lot harder than the music showed you it was. I think it's interesting that you chose a rap ride. No, I, I, I looked <laughs> at the hills. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we're seeing now that uh, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene is speaking, has a press conference after last night. She was stripped of all her committees. She was on two of them. She has only been there a couple, about a month. And she's already uh, in trouble about things that's done and gone in the past that are unacceptable, no question. But what kind of, uh, you know, what kind of precedent is this? We'll talk about that with John Roberts in just a moment. Then we'll talk Super Bowl with Marshall Falk, one of the greatest running backs you'll ever see. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Safe reopening of schools is not um, that vaccination of teachers is not a prerequisite for safe reopening of schools. Dr. Walensky um, spoke to this uh, in her personal capacity. Obviously, she's the head of the CDC, but we're going to wait for the final guidance. Well, there you go. Uh, we'll wait for the final guidance rather than listening to professionals. I don't really get it. Schools and sports, open them up and let them play. Parents, students, and players are making the demands and, dare I say, making some progress, at least in Michigan, where they are playing sports today. Number two, I jump into my bathroom um, and I close the door. I open the door when all of a sudden I hear, where is she? Where is she? I thought everything was over. 
Yep, AOC's fictional drama, it seems. Marjorie Taylor Greene's committee ouster. She's speaking now. Pelosi's sudden need for massive security to protect from the enemy within. Republicans. How the Dems are trying and succeeding in keeping the GOP off balance and what they need to do to right their ship and get back the House, at least, in 2022. Number one. Last year, the Senate passed five bills, both with Republicans and, and Democrats, over 60 votes in every every bill. The Democrats this time have decided they're not even going to talk to us. Well, that is uh, upsetting if you're a Republican and gratifying if you're not. That was Rick Scott, of course. And five times last year, Republicans and Democrats combined to pass rescue packages. This time, the Dems were happy to go it alone despite a massive decrease in COVID cases and an economy showing some signs of reviving. When will the left's priorities match the nation's needs? And what we're talking about, we didn't get the passage yet, but what we got is the reconciliation rule that said they can pass it with just 51 votes. John Roberts, co-anchor of American Reports, a great new show that airs from 1 to 3 on Fox News Channel. John, welcome back. Hey, it's good to talk to you, Brian. It's been a while. Well, I know it has been. We're just watching uh, Congresswoman uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene speak now. This is an odd situation. First off, no one can excuse her tweets, but you talk about slippery slope. This is going to be back and forth. I don't like who got elected. Let's blow her out. Or do you look at this as a a unicorn situation? I mean, clearly nobody is supporting Marjorie Taylor Greene's past comments about QAnon, about 9-11, about the Sandy Hook and Parkland shootings, about Jewish laser setting wildfires in California. But I talked to a couple of Republican members of the House yesterday who suggested that she went some distance in what she said on the House floor to explain where she was coming from and to walk it back, saying that this does not represent her beliefs now, does not represent her constituents, does not represent who she is uh, at the moment. Uh, You know, some people might say that was all politically motivated. It's too little too late. But I guess the the key argument here on the part of the Democrat, uh, the part of the Republicans is that, you know, Republicans really sort of had the onus on them to do something about this. They, they didn't really take a lot of action. I, mean, I think that her apology was probably uh, sparked by Kevin McCarthy. But the fact that the Democrats then came in, and even though 11 Republicans joined them, voted to strip her of her committee assignments, is seen by many people as an overreach. Why is the opposing party taking out a member of the Republican Party? And I, I think that you know, some members of Congress have some legitimate complaints about that. You know, you're supposed to clean up your own shop. The Republicans, the Democrats came in and said, well, if you're not going to do it, we're going to do it. And then they went ahead and did it. The only cover they got, I think, Brian, is because of this idea that 11 Republicans voted with them. Right. Uh, Not Liz Cheney, though. It was kind of interesting. Uh, I want you to hear, but Nicole Maliotakis did, which is also interesting. I want you to hear what uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said on CBS this morning about this cut 10. I would hope that Representative Green um, shows some reflection. Uh, I will feel safer when she does. Um, but if she doesn't, it remains a very tense situation. Democrats seem to be saying the enemies within, Republicans there who attack me, I don't feel safe. That The one thing they're pretty effective at doing between Marjorie Taylor Green, the razor wire outside, and the, the half billion dollars worth of National Guard members on the outside – they seem to be keeping the Republicans off balance. Yeah, but, but it's this idea of this I don't feel safe thing. And that goes back to what Congresswoman Nancy Mace, a Republican of South Carolina, was saying yesterday about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez 
that she spun this big tale about how she was terrified for her life. There yeah. was some guy outside the door who was looking at her in a very angry fashion. And Nancy Mace popped the bubble of, of that narrative by saying, look, the rioters never entered the cannon building. And were we all scared that something might happen? And were we all closed in our offices? Sure. But Nancy Mace is suggesting that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is spinning a tale for political reasons. Now, you know, there's no question the tensions in this nation are high. The Capitol Hill does look like an armed camp, and isn't that a shame? But the same people who are asking for the armed camp to be built around Capitol Hill are the same ones who were ripping the Department of Homeland Security last summer and President Trump for suggesting that the National Guard be sent and federal troops be sent in to, to quell the violence in places like Seattle and Portland. So I think some people are legitimately claiming that there's a double standard here. It's rules for thee, but not for me. I tell you, I could tell when you were interviewing her, you were impressed. I could not be more impressed with Congresswoman Nancy Mace, how conversant, comfortable she is on camera, how she knows the issues and is dead serious. Here's a little of your interview, and then I'll have you comment. Cut 17. She's very good at politicizing events to her advantage, and that's what's going on today. We've seen it throughout her, her tenure in Congress. And these are the reasons why Americans are fed up with politics today, seeing the, the culture of personality in both parties continually dividing our country. We have real work to do. And just look yesterday and today being distracted from the work of the people. So, and she kept coming back to that. I never met her, but come on, can we get something done here? Yeah. And, you know, Martha McCallum uh, went, went even further to say when it comes to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, it's all about her and how everything affects her. And, and clearly, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has, has had trauma in her life. She said in this Instagram forum that she held that she was sexually assaulted uh, earlier uh, in her life. Well, Nancy Mace was raped when she was 16 years old, so she understands trauma as well. But she had a different perspective on what happened uh, at the Capitol building on, on January the 6th. And you're right. I mean, she is a very impressive uh, woman. You know, there are a lot of freshmen uh, on the Republican side who are impressive. Byron Donalds of Florida is another one who comes to mind. He was a guest on our show yesterday. They, they have a, a firm grip on the issues. They have an interesting and balanced perspective. And, and they seem to be very much grounded in, in reality as opposed to, you know, trying to politicize everything that happens. You, you are so savvy in Washington, and, I'll, and I'm coloring myself naive. I never thought the Democrats right off would look to pass this $1.9 trillion bill as is without any Republican support, especially last weekend when 10 Republican senators went to see the president. But it seems they are lined up to do just that. They have 51-50 with the vice president just putting the, the, open, the deciding vote. They have decided to move ahead with budget with budget reconciliation on this one point nine trillion dollar bill, knowing that you could get more votes by just showing a little bit of give. Why would they do this, John? Brian, I'm surprised that you're surprised uh, that the Democrats have an idea that one point nine trillion dollars with a lot of money for state and local governments is what they want. And they, 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 they feign this idea of unity and bipartisan cooperation, but it really is our way or the highway. Chuck Schumer basically has said that at every opportunity, and then the White House isn't disabusing us of any notion that that's the way they're going as well with what Jen Psaki has said. She said better to err on the side of going big than to err on the side of going small. 
the Republicans are raising what they believe are legitimate points to say there was a $900 bill that was signed uh, on a bipartisan basis last uh, December, and a lot of that money still hasn't been spent, and yet we're going to go to the well for another $1.9 trillion, and we don't know exactly where that money is going. You know, we're digging ourselves into an enormous financial hole, and the Democrats seem hell-bent on going there, regardless of whether they get any bipartisan support. It does not surprise me to the least that this is the tack that they are taking. And, but but here's, the, here's, here's the danger point, I think, really. You, know, you can do a budget reconciliation on $1.9 trillion, but the next time around, when we're talking about budgets and we're talking about more relief or we're talking about money for something else, are they going to go to that reconciliation well again? Is this just the beginning of a long, slippery slope when it comes to budget measures? And I believe the the rules are it's only on economic issues. You can't just do that with right. immigration exactly. or yeah, and other right. things. But 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 you know you can make very creative arguments that immigration issues may indeed be budget issues. You know, and if you can if you can convince the American people that that's okay to do, then you can put a lot of things through on a reconciliation. You know, you have to meet a certain criteria to make it a reconciliation measure. But if you can tie what would seem to be a non-budget issue to the budget, you may be able to push it through using using uh, reconciliation. Yeah, again, it wasn't passed, just the measure was passed, but it's likely to get passed. And Joe Manchin's going to be on yeah. the clock because he came out as somebody who said this is too big and I don't want the $15 minimum wage. It doesn't make any sense. So, uh, And he also was up again, not unrelated to this, came out against not ending the XL pipeline. So, I mean, if he, he looks like somebody that people should stop believing when he says he's going to stand up to his party. Yeah, you know, well, he's got a lot of competing interests, doesn't he? He's, he's got uh, he's, he's a Democratic senator in a very red state, but, you know, he is a prominent senator for the Democratic Party, and that comes with its perks. I mean, if he if he decided to flip and become a Republican— I'm sure that he'd be rewarded to a greater degree than the Democrats are rewarding him because he would shift the balance of power of the Senate. But, you know, I don't think he's about to do that. Though we did see Jim Justice, who was a lifelong Democrat, become a Republican, so it may not be outside of the realm of possibility. But I think, you know, Joe Manchin is a pragmatic uh, politician. He's also a survivor. He knows what he needs to do to get reelected. But if the Democrats start pushing him too far to the left, he may start to have second thoughts about just blindly following this agenda. Yeah, we'll see. John Roberts, i got to ask you two things coming down the pike. One is student loan forgiveness. Uh, Schumer wants Joe Biden, the president, just to do it. $50,000, uh, uh, $50, everybody gets forgiven $50,000. He said, no, I, I, don't th- I think that's too much, and I think you should give me legislation, and I'll sign it. Where's this going? Well, again, it's this idea of the never the bottomless money pit. The money is easy to borrow at this point because the interest rates are so low. But Brian, how many times can you go to that well before you finally figure out? Good God, you know what? I'm so far. Well, we are so far in debt already that we're never going to dig ourselves out of it. But how far in debt do you go before it really starts to affect economic the possibility of an economic recovery? I think the Democrats are going to test those limits. Uh, when are we going to hear from Donald Trump again? We know the impeachment started. We know he's off Twitter and Facebook, possibly forever. He could always grab a press conference and sell the place out. What do you think? How do you think he's going to play next week? Lindsey Graham says it'll be a three or four day event. What do you think, John? Oh, well, I think that the president's going to remain fairly quiet. Uh, I, I was amused by the response that he sent back uh, to the request that he testify 
next week, calling it a publicity stunt. Uh, and clearly, the president's not going to entertain showing up at the Senate and testifying on his own behalf. But here's the thing, Brian. It, this, this whole thing becomes – it's already a fait accompli. You had 45 Republican senators support Rand Paul's measure that the process was unconstitutional. And I don't think you're going to see any of those senators who said it was unconstitutional suddenly say, oh, you know what, you're right. I'm going to vote to convict the president. That's not going to happen. So you've got maybe 55 Republicans, you've got 55 senators, potentially five Republicans who vote to convict. You're still 12 short. It's just not going to happen. So what happens next week is going to be another exercise in partisan political politics. Democrats will say the president has to be held to account. They believe that airing all of this in public will be holding the president to account. But the only way you hold a president to account if you're impeaching them is you kick them out of office. And that's not going to happen. It's unbelievable. The crazy stuff that we're in the middle of is nuts. Um, I think that that a lot of people might rightly say that there are a lot more pressing things in uh, that that we need to get to in terms of federal government than going through a trial process in the Senate that is going to lead nowhere. I get the sense that John Roberts would be one of those people who think there's much more pressing things, but you could say some people would say that's okay. He's co-anchor. The most pressing thing, the most pressing <laughs> thing we got to get to, Brian, is get our kids back to school. Yes, that's what I've been talking I mean, about all seriously. morning. Seriously, no, I know. And, and this is this, and this is from a person whose kids have actually been in school since last August, because fortunately we we, we have the means to take our kids and put them in in Catholic school. Right. But for all those millions upon millions of students who are not in school, those millions of parents who are tearing out their hair, wondering how much their kids are falling behind. I feel so terribly bad for them. Government should be wholly focused on getting kids back in school. And they're not. We can't even get Joe Biden to demand it and to call out the unions like the mayor, the liberal mayor of Chicago did, like the liberal mayor of San Francisco did. The fact that the fact that Rochelle Walensky, the CDC director, came out and said teachers don't need to be vaccinated. And then the White House said, oh, she was speaking, uh, you know, her own mind. That wasn't official policy. Oh, I mean, it's crazy. On. They think we're idiots. Uh, John Roberts, watch his shows. Great. You and Sandra, immediate chemistry. One to three. John Roberts on Fox News Channel. Thanks so much, oh, John. Hey, Brian. One yeah. more thing, Brian. Yeah. Go Bucks. All right, you got it. You're allowed to cheer. He can take a side in sports. Back in a moment. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. If it comes down to a binary choice, who would the president choose, the kids or the teachers? I I think that's a little bit unfair how you pose that question, but I will say the president believes schools should be open. Teachers want schools to be open. Families want schools to be open, but we want to do it safely. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. They could open up safely right away. Uh, There's no doubt about it. But they're not, and that is inexcusable, and the, the president does not have the guts to tell the teachers' unions, who all voted for him and supported him with finance, financially and with their votes, uh, to get back to work. Vanessa, WABC in Manhattan. Hey, Vanessa. Hello there, Brian. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? 
Um, hold on. I'm just going to put you over on my speaker because I'm in my car. I'm actually waiting to go in for my second shot. Nice. <laughs> Vanessa, you're a teacher. Yes, I am. I'm a teacher. I'm a middle school teacher, and I feel strongly that teachers should get vaccinated and um, they should get back into the school building. Our schools have been open since September. It, it, they need to be open. Kids need to be in school. But And you're in Manhattan. Is it a private school? No, I'm not in Manhattan. I'm out on Long Island. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, Manhattan is a much different story. It's to the point where even the charter schools have a problem getting enough teachers back. Vanessa, do you have reluctance among the other faculty to get back? I, I totally get that. I understand. But I just feel like um, we, we're doing the children a disservice by not getting them back in the classroom. No, I hear you. Vanessa, thanks so much. Good luck with your second shot. you feel the first one? All right. Yep, I'm getting the second one now. Thank All right. you. All right. Uh, Vanessa, uh, telling us like it is on Long Island, listening to WABC, sitting in the car, waiting for it. Uh, we got other uh, calls, too, especially from New York. one 408 Talk a little about uh, playing in the big game against Tom Brady with Marshall Falk, who did just that many times. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. After 80-plus meetings and going above and beyond to address the CTU leadership's various issues and concerns, we are out of runway. Black and brown kids who look like me, coming from circumstances like the one that I grew up in, who are struggling and are failing. We are failing those children by not giving them the option to return to school. In sports, and in sports good news, Whitmer reluctantly has let the Michigan kids play sports this spring and maybe even have the winter, the fall sports play in the spring too. So that was a win. But for the most part, Chicago kids are still at home. I think it's the third biggest district in the country. Brian, listening on WRCN in Suffolk County. Brian. Yeah, bro, I don't have anything real eloquent for you today. Today, I I just want to wonder if if these teachers are okay with with grocery store clerks going to work, if they're okay with truck drivers going to work and getting them their food and their water and everything that they need to survive. Because, you know what, these kids, they need to learn. They need to go to school. And and we know that the threat isn't as bad as they're making it. I mean, they're being ridiculous. And, and, you know, but they could go to Target and they could get their soaps and and whatever else they need to to keep their lives comfortable. Um, But they can't go to school and do their job. It's frustrating. It's frustrating, and, and but the thing is, it's it, you know, these this isn't just an issue. These are kids, and that that's more time they're not going to make friends. More times they're not going to try to uh, uh, learn anything. They can't be graded. I think you have to number one for people in public schools. Every teacher, every principal, every school board, you have to redo the curriculum. Assume they learn nothing. You don't want to leave everybody back. But assume they learn nothing, and there's got to be a way to consolidate two years into one, maybe even go in a sixth day. And I don't think parents would push back on that in order to make up for these days. I wonder how many many, Brian teachers would be back in school if they weren't getting paid. Uh, Yeah, that would be an excellent question. You know, Um, I, I think most of them would go right back. And, and, and earn their paycheck like the rest of us. A, a lot of us are out there getting it done, and you know, myself included. You know, 
you know, it, it, it's, it's not that scary, you know. Take your precautions. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Use your social distancing. Wear, wear your mask when you need to. Oh, they're doing it. The I mean, my, the, I have, I, my, my uh, kids go to a, a public school, and they have a great system. When there's a problem, they shut down that school or that grade. They isolate it. They inform everybody, and then you take actions. Things get back to normal. It's a way of living with it, and that's a public school. And there's plenty of money. Don't tell me people don't have the money. There's money there that's coming. You got another $1.9 trillion in the pipeline. Thanks for the call. Here's Senator Marco Rubio. Cut 25. He doesn't want to line up against the teachers' union. Uh, and these are powerful unions that are a big part of the Democratic base. They're big supporters of his campaign. And he doesn't want to go crossways with them. But what we can't do is go another year or even another month or, in my, my opinion, another week without kids being able to have some in-classroom, in-person instruction, or you are going to see in thousands, maybe millions of young Americans in this generation who are going to, to be damaged in terms of, of their learning and their social development in, in ways that may be irreversible. Yeah, there's just so many things in which these governors and these mayors sit back and they act like they have your interests at heart. Their only answer, they have one, get, they have one move, it's shutdown. Uh, limit, shutdown, remote, work from, uh, work from home, take the day off, uh, stay at home, no social gathering, stay in your bubble. Governor Gavin Newsom's probably the worst. That's why he's going to be recalled. I think they got about three more weeks to get, what, 100,000 signatures, and then he's going to have another election to keep his job. Listen to him yesterday saying, I'm hopefully to get sports back. Yeah, just take your time. It's already February. Cut 27. I only have four kids that want to get educated, but they love sports. Uh, and so I recognize all of the benefits, physical and mental, as well as the benefits to teachers and parents uh, that have kids that are engaged in physical activities. I'm very, very hopeful that we can find a compromise here. And uh, I believe that's possible. Yeah, we'll see uh, if it's possible. The good news is, you know, I had Darren McCarty of the Red Wings, now retired, to go up there and lead a rally to get kids back into sports and get it going again. We, you know, life is full of risk. Sports is full of risk. We all take chances. It helps uh, bond a team to go do things in a common way. They see him playing in college. They see other Catholic school teams and private school teams playing. They see the pros playing, and they're thinking to themselves, I don't get paid. They just want to go out and play, put it in a uniform, and go at it. And what they're seeing now in Michigan is that sometimes protests Work. This Governor Whitmer, who I do not understand how she has any popularity, she seems to be totally detached, arrogant, and just the worst. I have no idea why Michigan didn't go for the president. Maybe it's uh, his style, but it can't be his policies, especially considering what they're doing oil and gas right now. But you had Governor Whitmer actually give in to the crowd that you're failing our kids, and they just finally listen. And finally, the Let Them Play program, the students finally got through. And they recognize the students and parents scored a victory. This is how it reads. When she backed down yesterday and authorized winter sports to begin, Whitmer changed course after pushing back the start date to at least February 21st, triggering weeks of protests. I had this one kid on today I interviewed on television, Isaiah Navarro. He's a high school senior, and he was the defensive player of the year in his state, California. And he had uh, designs on playing Division I. He tweeted this out. Zero offers, zero looks, zero commitments, zero time on campus, zero homecoming, zero prom, zero traditional graduation. What a wasted final year of school. Worked hard, dedicated for absolutely zero reason. Big shout out to Governor 
Gavin Newsom, you got what you wanted. He went on to say, I know there are thousands in my shoes across the state. I do not want anything given to me, just a chance to show my value and be an asset. Gray shirt, red shirt, grass, turf, or dirt. I will play anywhere, God willing. So I talked to him in the break, and he said, listen, I'm either going to walk on or just go to a junior college and try to reestablish myself. He said he wanted to be one of the first defensive players to get MVP of the state because it usually goes to offensive players. So I understand that frustration. He is speaking for so many people. And for me, I think it's good for him to go out there and get that type of attention. For me, if he was this type of credentials, if I'm a football coach, I'm calling this guy. I'm getting a hold of him. Marshall Falk, what would it have been like um, 12th all-time leading rusher with the Rams and Colts drafted by uh, the Colts, finished up with the Rams? What would it have been like, Marshall, if they told you you couldn't play your senior year? What would have become of you? Oh, man, I don't know. That's oh, – oh, well, uh, well, my last year because I didn't play my senior year. But, um, yeah, that would have been tough. That would have been tough. A lot of these kids can't get noticed. They can't get recruited. You know, if you're if you're the next Marshall Falk, maybe you'll get noticed. But you really, I mean, I cannot tell you in other sports like soccer how many kids go, I guess I'll walk on. And they walk on, they said, yeah, I could walk on, but there's already seniors who are going to use that year of eligibility they didn't use this year. So there's very little roster room. It's tough, tough transition. It is. It is, man. And um, just, just, just trying times. And uh, to, to have these kids to, to deal with this, it's, um, I just feel so bad for them. So, uh, Marshall, you played in this game. Tom Brady's first Super Bowl came against you guys. You're on now. Uh, you're nice enough to come on. You're with the Foundation for a Drug-Free World. Go to drugfreeworld.org. Sadly, uh, the numbers are booming for teens doing drugs because of uh, psychological depression and addiction or recreational. Regardless, same thing. Uh, the Tom Brady you saw who won his first Super Bowl and shocked the Rams, and I know the controversy about the taping and the cheating, but the Tom Brady you saw to the one we see at 43, what's the big difference? Um, you know, I think the leadership is still there. But what, what we see now is, uh, is a guy that's, you know, he's, 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 he's proven to people whom it was like, oh, I don't know what Tom's going to be. This Tom is different. He's, he's out the prison. I don't, I don't feel like he's ever been publicly out to prove anything. But this Tom that's in Tampa Bay that's in this Super Bowl is out to prove to people that that he can win games without New England, without Bill Belichick, and and that his legacy is his legacy. It's not like he's attached to uh, to Bill Belichick, and that's it. You know, I I just I see a, a driven guy, um, and and he's always been driven, but just he looks so he looks so young, man. It just looks <laughs> arm looks fresh. It's I know, crazy. Footwork looks better. Deep ball looks better, and it, it, it's it's. I mean, he's really he's really changing, changing the game as far as longevity and how long you play and the stuff and how we look at it. So, Marshall, you remember the Giants famously? Uh, they said they couldn't stop the Buffalo offense. Nobody could, and when they were with their zenith uh, at their t- uh, at their height with uh, Jim Kelly and company and Thurman Thomas. So with Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick designed a game plan to keep them off the field by running the ball. You as a running back could understand it. With Leonard Fournette and their running backs, don't you believe the Bucs could do the same thing to the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes? I mean, to a certain degree you can, to a certain degree. But 
But the reality is, you know, it's 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 tough to just turn around and hand the ball off. And here here's the reality of it. If you let, let let's say you you go three and out, maybe two times. I mean, you could be down fourteen to the Chiefs. You know, along with the running game, you got to have a defense. Your defense has. I mean, they gotta they gotta play their butts off. And getting back-to-back stops against the Kansas City Chiefs, I mean, that's, that's, that's almost impossible. My teams have done it. It happens. They're going to make mistakes. But, boy, they're, they're just so explosive. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I want you to see if you can relate to this uh, statement. Joe Montana was asked about Tom Brady wanting to play at his age, and he gets it. Cut 51. I totally get it. It's, it's like a drug. I can't even explain it. And I always say that I wish everyone could play one Sunday afternoon out on the field, win or lose, just to feel the adrenaline rushes that go through you, up and down, uh, fighting back. Coming, it, it's crazy. And then the only bad part about it is is why people try to play so long is, is I said, once you've tried it, you'll understand. But mm. there's no once you leave, there's no going back. There's no pickup games. So can you relate to that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I always tell people that. I'm like, you know, you can, you can go shoot around with your kids in basketball. You know, you can go get in a, you can go get in a softball league with baseball. Uh, you can go to the senior tour in golf. In football, when it's over, it's over. That's it. That's a wrap. Do you regret no. retiring you when you did? did? No. Uh-uh, no. No. No, you don't, you, you don't regret it. It's just, it's just that. You don't want to do it, you know. It's like <laughs> you don't you don't want to do it. I mean, no, you don't. No one looks forward to retirement. Football, there's there's just you know, and I played other sports, man. But there's just something about the whole aspect, the team, the locker room, and the culture and the nature of football that it's 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 so different. But when it's you know it's when it's over, it's over. You know, there's just no pickup games. I hear you. What difference does it make not to have fans there? I know you probably never experienced that. Some people said it's practice, but it really isn't. I mean, at home you get used to it because they pipe the the sound in as if there's somebody there. It's going to be about 20,000 fans there. How does it change the game? I mean, the Super Bowl couldn't be more different now. You're not you're going to have a, a, the stands a third full. Yeah, I I I wish I could answer this, man. I I I do not know. I've been watching football this season and it's just weird not having the fans there. It's just it it it's weird. And even when they have some of the some of the games where they've had you know some fans, I just I was just like that looks weird. That's different, you know. And it's it's not practice. You you go in there and think about think it's practice, you'll be disappointed. But but I listen. Got to play the game. So somebody's going to win this game. It, it was it was like you know watching watching the NBA. When they were playing in the bubble, that was weird too. Right. But you become accustomed to it, and that's this is our year, our COVID season, and somebody will be crowned uh, a champion, and it's going to be the one that can that just like everything else in this season, whom have dealt with the most ups and downs and differences of what this year is. It's the team; these two teams have shown that they can handle it the best. And how do you see? And how do you see it playing out, Marshall? Uh, listen, man. I, 
it, it's so hard to go against Tom Brady, and I'm I'm just and I marvel over everything. I just I, I I'm I find it hard to figure out how like what Tampa because they pressure so much, and I know Kansas City both of their tackles are out, but they just pressure so much, and it, it just leaves so much one on one on the back end. Um, maybe they can get there with four, but I'm I'm gonna go with Kansas City and just you know offensive scoring power. And what they're able to do, um, I think it's a high-scoring game. I think 35-30 Kansas City. Okay. Real quick, uh, what, what, what should we know about yourdrugfreeworld.org? If people are listening right now and they think their kid has a problem or they have a problem or a friend has a problem, how could that help? Well, it's just getting the education. It's, it's, it's very simple. It's a place to come, get the education, to get the information. And, and you know, there's, there's so many parents out there. There's so many parents who don't know the telltale signs because maybe they didn't grow up around drugs and they didn't see it. They don't know the signs and they don't know how to help their kids. You come to drugfreeworld.org. We, we have information and education for you. Um, we, we provide curriculums to schools, uh, 20 different languages. So we, we can help, you know, whether you're inner city or suburbs. It, it's the information to just help educate parents and, and also adults. Adults that are indulging and, and they don't really know, like, it's it's perfect time to get the information and right. help yourself. Marshall Falk, uh, NFL Hall of Famer, uh, 12, uh, 12th all-time leading rusher, 12,279 yards, but an all-star with us every time he comes on. Marshall, great to hear from you again. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me on. Next time at the Super Bowl face-to-face, okay? Oh, yeah, looking forward to it. You got it. Uh, one of the great people and running backs you'll ever see. I actually saw him at San Diego State because I was on XTRA All Sports Radio out there. And um, Jim Brown was asked to go check him out. He came back and said he is amazing. For Jim Brown to say that, that should have told you kind of kind of running back he was. Brian Kilmeade Show. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Tom Brady, you suck booty. You ugly. You suck. You throw like a fat lady with a flabby arm and a little girl butt face. Hashtag Tom Brady. Hashtag suck. You suck. Tom Brady, you fat bitch. I hope you cry. I do cry too. Thank you, Tom Brady. I hope this loss depresses you so bad that you hardly have sex with your supermodel wife in your giant mansion. I have no comment to that. That's funny. But that was a mean tweet for Tom Brady having some fun with it. Perfect segment for Jimmy Kimmel. But remember the mean tweet that ended up blowing up in President Obama's face? President Obama will go down as perhaps the worst president in the history of the United States, exclamation point, at real Donald Trump. Well, at real Donald Trump, at least I will go down as a president. And the crowd roared, and he was wrong. But the other thing that doesn't really hold well with that is no more Trump on Twitter. Wow, that's a good point. I, I'm, like, relieved. You know, Trump would be going off on all this stuff, too, and then it would uh, bring the whole thing on the border. Life and is a little quieter. It is. And I think they're trying to use the other stuff as a distraction of Republicans so they could jam this green agenda down our throats. They don't want you to focus on this. Trump would be helping them by tweeting. So we'll see how this turns out. But next week will be all Trump.
Indeed, but he's not testifying. Brian Kilmeade Show. Tweeting. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.